sticking it to the man. At first, when Steve and I talked about this theme, I was like, I don't know, sticking it to the man. I never, I mean, you're talking about something that came out of the 60s and 70s. That's, well, I started as my prime time, but now's my prime time. That was the beginning, but, uh, but um, that was, uh, I remember it very well. And, um, I, and I never really was one of those guys who wanted to stick it to the man. And then, I, then I started doing a little research and had a friend help me look at some things to, what will be some good examples today of sticking it to the man? And uh, so I thought I'd share a couple with you real quick, a couple pictures, all right? They're not great, they're not great uh, in terms of the quality, but it's okay, you get the picture. Here's a guy, for instance, I don't know, we don't know this for sure, I think he probably lived in Jersey because he was upset about his, his uh, property tax. So, I mean, that's down like Jersey to me. Here's how he decided to pay his property tax, okay, with pennies, all the way in, this, in the city hall. And, and I, read, I saw that, and I thought... I can, I, I can resonate with that. I, I could do that. I, I could be very happy doing that. But then there's another one. Now, for instance, now in my own, I have a little personal thing going on here. I like Verizon. I have Verizon Fios. I like them until last weekend when they left me a whole weekend. Get this, without cable, without internet, without, I don't care about the telephone. I got my cell phone. But I mean, like, you know, football. I mean, football and, um, and, uh, and internet. So this guy decided to pay his Verizon bill a unique way, with calculus. <laughs> so how much is that? Come on, come on. Come on, smart people. Where are you? How much is it? I got somebody figuring it. I got the engineer working on it over here. He's figuring it. <laughs> uh, somebody says, in the, in the middle service, somebody says $141. And everybody just clapped, and I said... You people don't even know if it's correct or not. <laughs> Just make it up. Anyway, that was a creative idea. There was another. We had to block out what now, and he put a name for him. And um, <laughs> didn't think we could show that in church. That's sticking it to the man, right? Um, anyway, uh, that helped me resonate a little bit with this whole theme of sticking it to the man. Um, you know, the 60s and the 70s, when that whole theme started coming out of there. Uh, that whole thing. Uh, it, I remember, as I said, I remember it well. And those of you, I'll give you a quick little primer for those of you who uh, either weren't with us, um, maybe you were there, but you weren't, um, or maybe you weren't born yet. But um, it was a tough time. You know, and, and I didn't do this. I was taught differently in my home, but, but um, you know, everybody called the cops the pigs. Um, anybody with authority, anybody with authority was considered sort of bad. Um, I, I got drafted in 69, and um, so I, I remember vividly the first time we got, I got to a post in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, which is not exactly the bastion of liberal politics, right? And yet, yet there we were strongly warned uh, that you uh, will not leave this base in, in, your, in your uniform because we, we don't know what might happen to you. And that, during that time, they were spitting on soldiers. They were, if you were in some of those towns, two or three guys would take, you know, get a soldier, take him off the side and beat the crap out of him. Um, and so, and, and you, you, what, what, what many of you may not realize is when Reagan was elected, they call it the Reagan Revolution, aside from the politics, and we can argue that another time, what Reagan did for our country was it, he, made, he started having a veneration for the troops. And he, he made it respectable to be 
uh, not just respectful, but sort of honoring those who, who, who serve the, their country. And it, it, those of us who lived before that time and were in, in the military, it was a tough time. Um, you didn't let it be known. You traveling back and forth and so forth. You didn't wear your fatigues. You didn't wear anything. You didn't wear anything military. You didn't have a military bag with you because you just didn't know what might happen to you. So, I mean, it was that whole attitude coming out of it, of sticking it to the man, and the man, in that case, happened to be the military or the police or, or, or the government or, or whomever it might be. So, so we're talking about something that, that, that really came out of that. Now, of course, the flaw, and there are many flaws in that thinking, the flaw in that thinking, it, 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 was, it was, I'm going to use kind of the, the, the wording as I remember it. And this is uh, maybe a little graphic for you, but I'll issue an apology beforehand. What's that? How do you use those apologies? What's those good apologies? If I offended anyone, I'm sorry. <laughs> Aren't those great apologies? If I offended anybody, now I'm going to, you know, I don't care. But um, um, the wording at the time would, would be basically something like this. I don't want any damn authority telling me what to do or how to live. That's the tone. And um, one of the many problems with that is, there is one authority that you can't duck, you can't hide from, you can't run from, and you can't stick it to them. And that is the Lord God himself. So that's where we begin. And that is there is one authority to whom we will all answer, like it or not. Deny it, that's fine. It's still there. And that is that we will answer to God. Ecclesiastes puts it this way. After all this, there's only one thing to say. Have reverence for God. Obey his commands. Because this is all that human beings were created for. God is going to judge everything we do, whether good or bad, even things done in secret. Excuse me. Even things done in secret. So the whole issue there is we do have an authority to answer to, and that he is God. And the sooner we recognize that and deal with that, the easier life is going to be. Now, God gives us authority, whether it be with our government, whether it be with our places we work. He gives us authority. I believe the Bible teaches that God gives us authority so that it can remind us how we should respond. And here's the thing, and this is an important point. Some of you here might have a problem with responding to authority. Maybe that's because, and, 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 and I want to be compassionate about this because you, I need to be, maybe that's, because, maybe that's because you had an authority figure who abused that right. Maybe it, was, maybe it was a boss. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a dad or a parent. God forbid a minister that abused that, and as a result, you got a whole messed up view of authority because of their, their, own, their, their own stuff, their sinfulness. And, uh, and you need to deal with that because that's not the example, that's not the rule, and that's not what you should be. You, you should dwell on the, the good authority, which is, which is ultimately God. And then he gives us others to show us how to respond um, along the way, even though the, the authority we have on earth is going to be very imperfect at times. Not so with God. So, understanding that, understanding what we're talking about here with um, the whole thing of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to all answer to God, even then, as we recognize that authority, God is going to, uh, at times, tell us and call us to be countercultural, to live counter 
to the culture in which we live. And, uh, and, and I want to talk about that because I think it's an issue. And I want to take you to a passage in the Bible that, um, gosh, this is a great passage. And, and, and I, I tell you, I, I, you've probably, if you've never been, this is the first time you've been to church in your life, you've probably heard about this particular story in, in the Gospels. And it's a Jesus and as he's about ready to go into the temple here. And um, um, I want you to put yourself in that setting for just a moment. I want you to think of yourself as Peter or, or John or, or Thomas or Benjamin or any, any of the disciples who, had been, who were with him at the time, who happened to be with him at the time. Just think about that. And uh, you're with them, and you've, been, you've, you've gotten to know this man of peace, this man of love, this man of grace, this man of forgiveness, this man of joy. That would be Jesus. And now you, and you come into this setting, and something really radical is going to happen. This is one of the things, you know, that, that thing back in the 90s, uh, uh, they had this thing, WWJD, what would Jesus do? We had bracelets people had, and they had necklaces, WWJD, and I saw golf bags with WWJD, circles I travel in, and, uh, and, and all this sort of stuff. I saw everything, and, and that's fine. I, just, I love the spirit. But this particular passage is one of those things, I don't care how many times I've read it, every time I read it, it gets my attention, and I stop, and I'm like, I cannot believe Jesus did this. And keep in mind, he did it. He was perfect. He didn't sin in doing this. I'm not sure how he did that, but he was God, and he could do that. I can't. So here we go. We are in Mark chapter 11. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple, and he began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. So Jesus comes up on the temple. It's in the outer courts. I won't go into all that, but it's where Gentiles could be. But it wasn't ever supposed to be a marketplace. And it's a freaking zoo. It's just, it's just all over the place. And, people, and, and, and here's the thing. And this is the issue. Had, the money changers, you have, you have three kinds of money, basically. Imperial money, which is Roman money. You have provincial money, which is Greek money. Then you have Jewish money, local money. And, um, and that, they were changing all the money. It's kind of like they would do today in some places. They'd change that money all into Jewish money. And they would charge you a surcharge. You know, and we get that. We go to the ATM machine, and if it's not, it's not my bank, you know, I look at it and I say, it's a dollar. I'll, I'll do a dollar. But then you see some, well, five dollars. And I'm like, can I afford five dollars? Yeah, but I'm not going to do it. Um, you know, and you see some that are like, you know, 10 or 15, and you, you know, I always then talk back to the ATM. Are you kidding me? But uh, um, that's kind of what they were doing. They were charging a lot of money. And it's just crazy. It's, and, and they got animals, they got stuff going on, and, and you know, you can just picture, I don't know if you've ever been, if you've ever traveled anyplace overseas, I always think of the International Fair, uh, Bazaar, International Bazaar in Istanbul, it used to be Constantinople, we were there um, on one of our trips over there, and, and uh, this place is a just, it's just a riot, I mean, you go in there, and they're, so funny. My wife is not a dickerer. She's not going to sit there and dicker. She's going to, you know, and, she, she, and I remember she, she, was, she was looking at some silver necklace, I think. And, um, and they, she said, um, they said, it's $50, $50, $50. She's like, no, I'm not doing $50. And she just starts to walk away. She's not posturing. She's not like, she's, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. I'm not wasting time on that. The guy starts following her, you know, and that's what they do. You know, and then she, I don't know, she got it for like ten bucks or something, or some some crazy, crazy thing, and, and it's like that. It's just crazy. It's wild. 
And, and, and this is what's going on here. It's just, you know, everybody's talking uh, probably many different languages like they do there. And, and, oh, and they're dickering back and forth. What about this? What about this? It's just nuts. So Jesus sees this scene, and he's like, what is this? And I can just see, I've I, I got to tell you, in my mind, I just, I, it's not in the text, but I just can see Peter and John. And, and they're sitting there, and they, and, and they see him go, and he just starts throwing stuff around, throwing stuff around. I mean, I can, Peter looking at them like, holy crap, do you believe this? I mean, they're just looking at each other like, this is Jesus. But he's not sinning. And I want to emphasize that because when, if, I, if I were doing that, and I'm, I, I'm capable of something like that probably, and so are you. I'd get my three iron. I'd, just go, I'd hurt somebody, okay? Can't hit a three iron, but I can hit you with a three iron. And, 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 um, um, but I'd be sinning. I'd, somewhere I'd cross the line. I'd get mad and I'd just knock the crap out of somebody, okay? Jesus never did. Never did. Don't, don't forget that. We relate to it. You and I are going to relate to it like we are because we would be mad. We would eventually, he never did. So whatever, he, whatever that control is that he could have as God, he did. So he never went, he never stepped over that line. But he said, this is desecrating the house of God. And it's got to stop, and I'm stopping it. It's what you pretty countercultural to that time, and Jesus could do that. And um, boy, look what happens. Verse 17. He said to them, "The Scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves." And the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done. They began planning on how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. They were afraid of him because they thought they might get their Hebrew hineys kicked is what they were afraid of. Um, <clears throat> I say that with all love and affection to my Hebrew friends. But um, they were afraid also they might lose their position. Because here comes somebody teaching truth with love, grace. And, and, and they're, 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 you know, nothing more dangerous than a person teaching the truth with love and grace and peace. And that's what Jesus was doing at the same time, saying, this is wrong, and I'm not going to put up with it in a way that only he could do. That's what happens sometimes when we recognize there's a God in heaven, and I'm, he is my authority, and he calls me as a person of faith in Christ to a life that's counter to our culture. I thought about that, and I wanted to, I wanted to give you some, some, just sort of dig a little deeper, flesh that out a little bit, being countercultural, what that may mean. And, uh, and we see what it did, what it meant in Jesus' life. So I, I came up with a little list of things here. And I, 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 maybe I stretch this a little bit. I, I had to do 10, so I had to do 10 something today. I just had to do 10 something, right? 10, 10, 10, right? I had to do 10 something. I mean, how many times are you going to have this opportunity? Yeah, once, okay? So I did 10-something. So here we go. 10 ways, 10 reasons to be countercultural, what that may mean. Just some, just some thoughts, just some things to think about. One, number one, first one, being friendly in an unfriendly place. Not all that difficult here. I mean, really, we don't have a very high standard, do we? <laughs> You smile at somebody, you're already countercultural. Wow, look at that. That person smiled at me. Um, it can make a difference, though, sometimes in somebody's life. You never know. 
Showing grace to those who experience little. Service workers. Maybe the guy that shines your shoes. Maybe the, the person that busses your table. Just a little grace. You know, they don't get much of that, some of those people. Speak a different language oftentimes, and even somebody just to smile and say thank you. Kind of understand that. Uh, just a little, simple little way that that can be done. Being honest when the culture might overlook dishonesty. And we do have a culture that overlooks dishonesty in many ways. It's okay. That, nobody's going to notice that. You do that little thing, don't worry about it. No big deal. You didn't tell the truth there, well, that's okay. Sometimes the greatest way we can show that our, our countercultural way is by just being honest in a world that, uh, that overlooks somebody. And overlooks dishonesty in many different ways. Going out, of your way, going out of your way to help somebody. A buddy of mine told me recently, he said, I was driving down Highland, Highland Avenue, Short Hills, if you know the area. And uh, right past Christ Church there, if you know where that is, a church property that I often covet, to be perfectly honest. And uh, it's a great property. Um, anyway, um, he, he said, I saw a guy in a suit with a briefcase, on a dead sprint. going, And you know what's going on here, right? Uh, going toward the, toward the train, yeah. In a suit, in a dead sprint. Anybody here ever done that? Yeah, <laughs> there's a bunch of you have. I did a couple times. Um, he said, you know what? He said, I've never done, my friend says, I've never done this before, ever. I stopped and said, hey, you need to write. And the guy was like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. He said, you'd have thought I just saved the guy's life. Who knows, maybe... Maybe he did. Maybe he was late for a meeting in the city or something. But he said, he was just, he said I've never done that before. It just was amazing. And I realized with his other implications, and I'm, I know if you're a woman, you're a woman, you have to, you have other things you have to think about. I understand that, and I'm not suggesting that you're some kind of a sinful person if you don't pick up some guy running for the train because he may be some, you know, Ted Bundy or something. I don't know. Anyway, but, but it was just it's one of those things where you just, he just said, you know, it's really, really kind of cool. You know, and, and, and maybe it's not in that way. Maybe it's in some other way. But going out of your way to help somebody. Um, going the extra mile without being noticed. Maybe nobody's going to know what you did when you really do something. Maybe you fix something that, that nobody really saw was undone and you pick this up or do this. It's going the extra mile without me. Nobody's going to notice that. Maybe it's, maybe it's saying no to a particular thing that... It's something you're starting to read or watch or whatever, and, and nobody's going to know whether you watch it or read it or not, but you say, you know, I don't need to do that. And that's, that's countercultural. You know, maybe it's, um, number six, maybe it's having some discipline with your family, with your kids. In a society that says the kids rule the roost, baby. Whatever the kids want, they get. Sorry, not going to win any popularity contest here with that, but... Um, you know, sometimes kids need to be told no. No, we don't do that. Sometimes they need to have some boundaries very clearly laid out for them. And uh, it's not always a popular thing to do in our culture. Sometimes they need to, need to be let, let them fail at certain things. Be careful on how you take that in order to understand how life works, and they're going to be stronger through that. No, maybe you don't take their side when they tell you how bad the principle was to them. You know, maybe you'd kind of do a little more. Those are things that are very countercultural in our society and in this society that we live in. You need to think about that. Um, number seven, maybe it's saying no when you really don't want to. 
that made me no to that next drink that you really don't need. Maybe it's saying no to a group of people that you kind of like, but you know whenever you get with them, not, not, good stuff doesn't happen. Maybe it's, this, maybe it's the discussions that take place. Maybe it's the places that you go. Maybe it's some other things that happen. And, and you need to say no to that. You know? um, number eight, maybe it's, it's keeping your opinions to yourself. For example, not gossiping. You hear something said about so-and-so or so-and-so, and, and you, you, yeah, well, I heard this. You know, and it's one thing, I suppose, if it's Lindsay Lohan, and that, that may not necessarily be good either. It's quite another if it's my neighbor or the person down the street. You know, and that's, that's part of the issue here. Number nine, counterculture. Don't say negative things about those you love the most. You know, women can get together, and men can get together, and they can talk about their spouses. I'm sure, I don't care whether it's men, I don't care whether it's women. They both do it. And they start saying things about them. And it kind of becomes the thing you do. Yeah, well, my husband this, my husband this. You know, one thing, I, I, I'll just say this. Um, really thankful. My wife, yesterday we celebrated our 39th wedding anniversary. 39, yeah, I know. <laughs> applaud her. Yeah. Don't applaud me. Applaud her. Uh, she made one mistake one day in her whole life, and she's been paying for it ever since, you know. <laughs> Caught her at a weak moment. <laughs> say yes, say I do. Okay, we're good. Uh, and you know what? The thing about, well, first of all, I have nothing ever bad to say about her. So that, I, that's, I, I, that's, I, that's a pass. But she, believe me, there are many negative things she could say about me. Many. But you'll never hear it. You'll never hear it. And she loves me. She respects me. And, and she just won't go there. And, and, and you know what? That's, that's, that's important when we love others. We don't do that. We don't talk about them like that. Now, individually, we need to confront one another, certainly. We don't sweep stuff under the rug and say, well, we don't. Talk. Individually, we talk about them. But that's not for others. And those that we love the most, we shouldn't be talking about. God knows that. Gosh. That's countercultural oftentimes. Number 10, just being a grateful person as opposed to some negative, sniveling, whining complainer. Could use some more adjectives, but you know what I'm talking about. Those people just so, these negative, sniveling complainers who just are always complaining about something. I mean, you know, just the person who's a countercultural person of faith who understands his identity and understands his authority is in God Almighty is a thankful person. He's thankful, she's thankful, because they understand who Jesus is and that Jesus came and loved them and, and suffered and died and rose again, and he did that for me, he did that for you. And as they, have, and they put their faith in him, maybe in a service like this, maybe some other time, they put their faith in him, and it totally permeates who you are. And it teaches you just that I'm the most grateful person on the face of the earth. That's how counterculturalism works when we understand that our authority is God Almighty. Three things. I've got to get you out of here. Three things, real simple, I want to leave you with. There's only one authority. There's only one authority. There's only one authority that you need to please. That's your God in heaven. Second thing, authority on earth will continually remind us 
that we have a higher authority in heaven. We should respect it. We should seek to yield to it. Unless, it go ask, unless it's asking us to go against our ultimate authority. We should respect that authority. Because it helps us understand what real authority comes from. It's going to be imperfect. But the real authority to whom we are accountable is never imperfect. That's God. Last thing. God calls us as our authority to live counter-cultural lives in a way that's going to honor him and honor each other. May God give us the strength to do those things in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are all, all so very thankful for your love and your grace in our lives. We are also thankful that we have a God in heaven to whom we have accountability and who is our ultimate and final authority. We thank you for that, and we thank you for your love and for your grace that you display in all of our lives. Pray for the day and that it would be just a a great day and the blessings just, just for being here. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.